If you got your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 14. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 21 this morning. When I was a kid, one of my favorite TV shows was The A-Team. And one of the things that I still remember that, that I still kind of say, whether it's to myself or out loud or whatever, is at the end of the show, usually at some point, the leader of the A-Team, Hannibal, uh, would always come out and say, or always say, I love it when a plan comes together. And so this morning, what we're looking at, we're looking at this idea of God with a plan. We're looking at this idea of a God who is sovereign, a God who is in control, a God who has a plan, whose plan always comes together. And so to more, this morning is, is kind of a, a faith-building sermon. Now, if you remember, one of the things that we've said over the past few, really, months is that our faith is strengthened not by us trying harder or quote-unquote believing harder, but our faith is strengthened when we get a, a greater understanding, a greater picture of who God is, and we understand who He is so that we can in turn trust Him or place our faith in Him more, depend on Him more, rely on Him more, trust in Him more. So this morning, we're looking at the idea of the sovereignty of God. So when we look at the sovereignty of God, before we really get into it, I want us to look at, we're going to kind of look at three truths, three biblical truths about God's sovereignty that kind of help us think about it in a right way. And they'll kind of help us kind of set a, a standard or a baseline or an understanding of sovereignty or God's sovereignty as we move into the text so the first thing that I want us to know is that God's sovereignty means that God is in control. A technical definition is that God rules His entire creation, that He is all-knowing, all-powerful, and absolutely free. Psalm 115.3 says this, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. We serve a God who is in control. We serve a God that... For me, this is one of the most more encouraging facts or truths about God is that God is in control, that God is all-knowing, that God is all-powerful, that there is, is nothing greater than God. Not only is there nothing greater than God, but, but He is free from the control of anyone else. No one can force God or make God or usurp God's power or control Him to do anything that He does not choose to do. And Psalm 115.3 says, God sits on his throne as king over all creation and does what he pleases. God is in control. So as we think about sovereignty, first thing that we have to think about is that God is in control. There's nothing greater than God, nothing more powerful than God, nothing that knows more than God, and that God uh, is free from any control, any influence or any power, any other power, that God being self-sufficient, God does what he pleases. And what he pleases is good. And that leads us to our next point. And that is God is good. This means that God is the final standard of good and all he does is worthy of approval. There are many verses in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, that talk about the goodness of God. Psalm 84.11 says, For the Lord is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. Uh, in the book of James, we're told that all good and perfect things come down from God, the Father of lights. Now, here's why I want us to talk about real quickly about God's goodness as we talk about God's sovereignty. If God was sovereign... And God could do anything that He wanted to do. And God is in absolute control. And God was evil or wicked or mean. Then God's sovereignty is a terrible thing. 
If God was sovereign and God was like us, meaning he was imperfect, so there were some times that he did good and some times that he did bad, then his sovereignty would be a terrible thing because depending on his mood or depending on what he knows or does not know or depending on whatever the circumstances is, depends on whether you got something good or bad or what God did, things would be chaos. The fact that God is good is imperative to the idea that God is sovereign because the fact that God is good, that He defines what is good, and everything that He does is worthy of approval, impacts, it makes His effect that He is king. It makes the fact that He is sovereign. It makes the fact that He is good or or that He is in control. It makes that a good thing. It makes that a trustworthy thing that we can trust that from God's perspective, now understand, we see things different from God. God sits uh, enthroned and, and on His throne above heaven. God sees all of creation. God has a plan. God, God sees things perfectly where you and I don't see things perfectly. And so from God's perspective, everything that He do, does has a plan. It is good and it is worthy of approval. And so for us, looking at God and trusting that He is in control, we also trust that He is good so we know that no matter what we go through, and we're going to touch on this in just a second a little bit more, but no matter what we go through, God is good. God has a purpose. That leads us to our third kind of establishing fact is that God loves His children. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those who know God, for those who love God, God works all things for His glory and for our good. God works all things that His name would be exalted and lifted up and magnified, that He could tell the world around us that He is a good and loving and worthy God. And God works all things for our good. Matthew 7.11 says this, If you then who are evil, or you're sinners, you're not perfect, Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? God is good. As we as parents or grandparents or uncles or aunts know how to give good gifts to children to make them smile, to make them laugh, to make them happy, God being perfect can do so infinitely more than you and I can. And we take this, and if we're going to apply this to all of our life, then we also have to apply it to the difficult things. That that even in the difficult or confusing or hard things that we go through, God can work those out for our good. The story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Joseph was one of the twelve sons uh, of his father, uh, Israel. He was the favorite son. His other brothers despised him. They hated him. They did not like that he was the favorite, that he was a spoiled. So they go, they uh, tell their father that he was killed by a wild animal, but in reality, they threw him in a pit. They sold him to some slave traders. The slave traders sold him to a man named Potiphar. He rose the ranks in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife was attracted to him and tried to uh, seduce him, you could say. 
very aggressively. Uh, and so Joseph flees. Joseph runs out, leaving part of his clothes behind uh, in Potiphar's wife's hands. And so Potiphar's wife accuses him of rape. He gets sent to jail. And through that, God works in all these negative situations to ultimately bring him to the place where he is ultimately second in command over Egypt. At this time, the greatest uh, country size-wise and in power in the world, just under Pharaoh. And when his brothers, because there's a famine, comes to him to receive or to get food, they don't know that it's his brother yet, he tells them after he tells them, hey, I'm your brother, you sold me into slavery, you did all this bad stuff to me, he says this, but Joseph said to him, this is in Genesis 50 uh, verse 19 and 20, he says, but Joseph said to them, do not fear for I am in the place, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many should be kept alive as they are today. So God used all this stuff bad that happened in Joseph's life to put him in the place so that when this great famine came through, not only could the Egyptians and other people be saved, but God's chosen people, these 12 families of Israel, could be saved. They end up coming to Egypt, and they end up growing into a great nation that once the exodus happens, they are given that promised land, and they become the nation of Israel. So all that Joseph said that the people meant for evil in his life, God used all the bad things that happened ultimately for his good and for the good of other people. So those are kind of our our three kind of foundational uh, truths that we want to keep in mind as we think about the sovereignty of God, that God is in control, that God is good, and that God loves his children. So how does God's sovereignty impact us then on a, on a daily basis? Let's look at verses 12 through, four, or 12 through 21 of Mark chapter 14. We will pray and then we will make our way through the passage. It says, On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and whatever he enters, uh, wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there, ready there prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him, one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of Him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now and thank you for this time that you have given us. We thank you for this opportunity to come together to worship, to praise you. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come and to study your word. Father God, I pray that as we look at this idea or this truth of who you are, Father God, I pray that you could use this to encourage us, to strengthen our faith, and to uh, remind us that you are a God that is bigger than our circumstances and that you are a God who can be trusted. 
We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. First thing, God is sovereign over the small things in our lives. Now, when I say God is sovereign over the small things, uh, it doesn't mean that, it's, oh, God is, uh, um, that, that there are things in our life that don't matter. But there are two things that I want us to grasp to kind of as we think about this idea. One, God is big enough to handle the big stuff in the world, governments, kings, countries, hurricanes, diseases. God is big enough to handle that while at the same time hearing my daughters praying that it snows so that they don't have to go to school the next day. And everything in between. That God is not somehow limited in His ability or limited in His power or limited in His sovereignty and in His control that He is only worried about the big things in life and He just says, okay, y'all go handle life and I'm going to take care of this big stuff. This is all that I can handle. I'm, I'm maxed out with all this. God is never maxed out. God can handle the creation of the world. God can handle the creation of the universe and sustaining it all. God can handle everything that is going on in our country, in our world, in other governments, while at the same time being intimately involved in every aspect of my life, in your life, in every other believer's life, in human being's life in this world. That God is so strong, God is so great, God is so powerful that no matter what big things are going on, God, while simultaneously, can be intimately involved with our lives. So as I say that God's sovereignty means that He is concerned about the small things, or He is sovereign over the small things in our life, that doesn't mean that uh, there are things in our life that don't matter. I'm not trying to trivialize our lives, but I want us to understand that that we don't have to say, you know what, I'm not going to bother God with this because God's got all of this. Look, God's not human. God's not like us. God can, can multitask out the wazoo. There is nothing that, that God cannot handle. And so we don't have to say, look, I'm not going to take this to God because there's all this other stuff going on. God's big enough. God has no boundaries. God has no limitations. God can handle it. Secondly, we don't have to just take the big parts of our lives to God and then us worry about the small things. Hey, God, here's some sickness going on. God, here's something big going on, but, but, uh, but I'll just take care of the small stuff. I don't want to bother you with that. Once again, God cares about every aspect of our lives. God cares about who we are. God cares about our emotions and our feelings and our fears and our worries and our doubts. God cares about where we're going to eat our next meal. God cares about the big sicknesses in our life. God cares about everything. And there is nothing in the Bible that, that would even lead us to believe that God says, okay, I'm going to take care of big stuff. You handle the little stuff by yourself. No, God says, I want to be involved in all of it. I'm sovereign, I'm big enough, I'm strong enough, I'm in control already. I want you to trust me with all of it. I don't want you to try to handle things on your own. I want you to turn to me and say, God, I recognize your greatness. God, I recognize your power. God, I recognize that you're in control. I recognize that you're good, that you are going to love me. So I'm going to trust you in every situation and aspect of my life. So when we say that God is concerned about the small things, once again, I don't want to trivialize anything, but I want us to understand that, that God is not limited to big things, but God is, is sovereign over every aspect of our life. Now here's how we see this in the story. 
the disciples asked Jesus, where are you going to eat the Passover meal? And Jesus says, all right, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to this town. You're going to wait. You're going to see a guy carrying a jar of water. You're going to follow that guy. Wherever that guy goes, you're going to go in that house, and you're going to ask them, hey, where's the room for the teacher? And he's going to show you a room that's already furnished. That's where you're going to set up the meal for us. Now, as Jesus tells them all this stuff, it can be kind of... I don't know if confusing is the right word. Maybe it's silly. It's almost just kind of these these instructions just seem odd and just seem strange. And here's what I think is going on. We don't often see the the minutiae and the details of how God is working in our lives. Oftentimes, not until we get through a situation and we look back. But while we're going through it, we don't see all the little bitty things that God is doing to work in our lives, to move us, to, to put us where He wants us to be, to shape us, to guide us. And so I think in this story, what we're seeing is Jesus kind of lays out these very kind of odd details almost. Go stand here, wait for a guy with a jar of water, just randomly follow him. Is we're seeing the sovereignty of God. We're seeing, look, God, they needed a place to meet. God had worked this out for them to have this place to meet, whether he did so in a dream with the people who owned the house, whether they were Christ followers. In some way, in some capacity, God worked out that they would have this room. So for these two disciples, all of these little details are God's sovereign plan of moving them to where God had prepared for them already. Now, once again, when God is working in our life and God is moving us from point A to point B, a lot of times we don't see from God's perspective all these little stops along the way that God is doing to get us from point A to point B. But in this story, we see all those little stops. Follow the guy with water. Come to the house. Ask him where the room is. And it shows us that God has a plan for our lives. And it shows us that God is sovereign and that God is in control even over Hey, where are we going to eat this dinner at? This, this, for them, it was a very special, very religious dinner, and there, there was a whole reason for all this night and why it was so important. We'll look at that in just a second. But we see God's hand and God's sovereignty over all these little steps to move them where they're at. Now, understand, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that God is doing all these crazy steps to move us to Wendy's or uh, Taco Bell for dinner tonight. But God is at work in numerous ways that we don't even see. We don't, oftentimes we don't understand. And God is constantly at work, even if we don't see what is going on in that moment. God always has a plan. God always has a purpose. purpose. God can always be trusted. For me, this strengthens my faith, knowing that no matter what I'm going through, even when I don't understand, because of stories like this, I've seen that God has the minute details from the smallest steps. God has it planned out. He is someone that I can trust. I can barely plan out my week well. God can plan out every step of my life if I will just trust in Him and trust that He's got things together. So I'm going to live my life to follow Him, to obey Him. I'm going to pray for His wisdom. I'm going to pray for His direction. I'm going to trust that things happen, that He has a plan for that. And I'm going to depend on Him to be the one who strengthens me and encourages me and holds me up. All right, next, I want us to see that God is sovereign over history. So God is sovereign over our lives. God is sovereign over the small things of our lives. But as we back up, God is sovereign even over uh, the history of our world. Now, it says that they are gathering together so they can eat the Passover meal. 
Now, the Passover meal for the Jewish uh, people is, this is one of their, their high holy days. This is one of the most important days of their, uh, of their calendar, of their year. And so what the Passover does is the Passover celebrates as the, uh, we just talked about how God used Joseph to bring the, uh, the Israelites to Egypt. Uh, when they got there, they were 12 families. Um, after 400 years of being in Egypt, they became large, several hundred thousand people. Uh, they became basically a nation while they lived in Egypt. Uh, because they got so big, uh, Pharaoh came along and said, look, uh, there's too many of these people. We're going to make them our slaves. Uh, so that they don't overtake us. They killed a bunch of the, the baby boys. And so the people begin to cry out to God, saying, God, we need your help. God, we need you to rescue us. God, we need your freedom. God raises up Moses to be a leader uh, of the Israelites. Moses comes to Pharaoh. He says, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. God sends all of these plagues to uh, plague Egypt to show Pharaoh that, look, the God of the Israelites is the one true God. He is greater than the gods of the Egyptians. Trust Him. Uh, listen to Him. Let His people go. And then all these bad plagues will stop. Pharaoh continually says, no, 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 no matter what happens. So God tells Moses, I'm about to send the final plague. After this plague... Pharaoh's going to let you go, but let, I'm, I want you to understand this is going to be the worst plague of all. It was the plague of the death of the firstborn son. And through this plague, God was going to send uh, one evening the spirit of, uh, of death along through Egypt, and he was going to kill the firstborn of every family, even of all the animals, the firstborn son, sorry, the firstborn son of all these families. And God told Moses, here's the plan. What you are to do is you are to go to the people. You are to tell them to take a lamb, a spotless lamb. They are to sacrifice it. They are to take the blood of the lamb. They are put it on the doorpost or the door frame of their house, of their front door. And then you are to go inside and you are to eat part of the lamb. Then you are to uh, take bread and unleaven it. Don't let it rise. But you are to cook it and you are to eat this meal and you are to be ready to go in haste because Pharaoh is going to let you leave. And during the night as the Spirit came by, Whatever house had the blood on the doorpost, the Spirit passed over. Death passed over. And no matter who was in there, the firstborn son of that family would live. And then all throughout Egypt, those who did not place the blood on their doorpost, the firstborn son of those families died because of God's judgment on Pharaoh and his refusal to listen to God and let God's people go. So the Israelites celebrated this time. This was the Passover, when death passed over them because of the blood of the Lamb. And they were allowed freedom, and they became this nation of Israel. This was the, the, basically the initiation of them as a nation. They are a great people. They are moving out. They are going to a land. This is a big moment for them. They celebrate it every year by having this... Um, Passover dinner, then they have a special Passover Sabbath, uh, and then uh, this is just kind of one of their big days. And so the Jesus and his disciples are getting together and they're having this Passover dinner. 
And what's interesting time-wise is they have this Passover dinner. Jesus spends a little bit, a couple hours probably teaching them. They go to the Garden of the Gethsemane to pray. Uh, they are betrayed or he is betrayed by Judas. He is arrested. The next morning uh, he is hung on a cross and then a few hours he is dead. But understand that Jesus Christ died in the same way those lambs died so that the blood could be put on the houses so death would pass over and they could be saved by the blood of the lamb. When Jesus Christ came on the scene in the book of John, John the Baptist says, Behold the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ was our lamb whose blood was spilt so that if we place our faith and trust in him and who he is and what he has done for us, death passes over us. Yes, we will die physically. Our bodies will cease to exist. But our spirits will live forever with God in a perfected body. We will live apart from sin, apart from guilt, apart from shame because of Jesus. And when I talk about the sovereignty or God being sovereign over history, God orchestrated all of this with the nation of Israel over hundreds of years, moving them to this place of of the Passover, moving them to this place so that this picture could be established for Jesus to come in and to be our Passover lamb who died for us so that we might have the forgiveness of our sins so that we might have life. God is sovereign over kings, over countries. God is sovereign over history. So as we think, yes, God is sovereign over my life. God cares about my life. But at the same time, God is simultaneously working throughout history for His purposes, for His uh, plans, for His reasons to be fulfilled and to be done. We serve a great God, a big God who has no limitations, who has nothing keeping Him from doing whatever He wants to do on a small scale by individual by individual to a large scale by history with nations and countries and peoples. There is nothing too big for our God. The next, I want to see that God is sovereign in His plans. So in verses 17 through 21, it says, When it was evening, He came to the twelve, and as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to, to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, the one who is dipping his bread into the dish with me. Verse 21. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Alright, so I want us to focus in just on the first part of that verse. He says, For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. Understand that Jesus is not some kind of plan B or plan C or plan D or plan E when it comes to God and when it comes to humanity. Jesus is and has always been plan A. When God created the world, His plan was always that Jesus Christ would come and would die for the failures and the sins of mankind. Revelation 13.8 says this, And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written uh, before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. Now there's a lot going on there. And one day, I I told the people who were here on Sunday nights, um, this fall or this winter, uh, we're going to start going through Revelation on Sunday nights. Uh, So we'll get there at some point in a year and a half or two, however long it takes us to get there. But 
There's a truth here where it talks about the, 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 um, the book of the Lamb that was slain and these names written in it before the foundation of the world. What this tells us is that Jesus Christ was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ has always been plan A. Before God created the world, before God created Adam and Eve, before Adam and Eve sinned and fell to the serpent... God had already planned that Jesus Christ would die for the sins of man. In fact, Isaiah tells us that God declares the end from the beginning. That before God created everything, God knows how everything works out. God has it all planned. God is sovereign. God has a purpose. God has a plan. God can be trusted because of who He is. God prophesied Jesus' death hundreds of years before it happened. In Isaiah chapter 53, uh, you can flip over there if you want to. I'm going to read it. Uh, I don't have it on the screen because there's a lot, but just listen to this. It's talking about Jesus. This is a a prophecy given to Isaiah about who Jesus is. We'll start in verse 3. It says this, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with, and, and with His wounds we are healed. And we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity or the sin of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb, the, lamb, uh, the blood of the lamb, like, the, like, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By opposition and judgment he was taken away. And for his generation uh, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of the people, And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. He died with the two criminals. He was buried in a rich man's tomb. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him... um, He has... Has put him to grief when he when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall uh, prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Uh, shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous? He makes those who are righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. He gives us his righteousness, takes our sin. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he will divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. Now there are other numerous passages in the Old Testament that talk about Jesus and Messiah and what He will do for us, but that passage spells it out, who Jesus is and what Jesus Christ was going to do for us, that He was going to die, He would be crushed, He would pay for the transgressions of our sin. Jesus Christ was not only the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, His death was proclaimed hundreds of years before He came, thousands of years before He came. And then in Mark 8.31, it talks about Jesus and it says, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. 
Jesus knew what was going to happen. Jesus knew what the plan, the purpose for him being here was before it even got to that time. Understand that God is God over our lives. God is God over history. And God is God with a plan. And God has orchestrated His plan throughout history for the purpose of Jesus Christ coming and dying for you and for me. And it was not a backup plan. It was always plan A. Now, as we talk about God's sovereignty, I want us to understand this. I'm going to try to get through this quickly. But that God's sovereignty does not remove our responsibility. Verse 21, he says, For the Son of Man must go as it is written, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him, uh, for that man if he had not been born. So here we have the struggle that that many Christians have battled with for the last 2,000 years. In fact, there's two big schools of of theological thought on how to handle this, on what this means. And once again, we're not going to dive into all that. We don't have time. But how do you reconcile that God is sovereign, that God is in control, that God has a plan, that God has purposes, and yet mankind still being responsible for our will, for our choices, that idea of free will, that if we're going to do something, that we can be held responsible. Because they don't seem like they go together. It seems like it should be one or the other. Either God is sovereign and we have no choice, or we have choice and so God backs off and lets us do whatever we want to do. But that's not what the Bible said. The Bible presents... Us both. Here in this passage, Jesus says, A son of man must do as it is written. Basically, there's been a plan, and yet the, uh, the one who betrays Judas, he will be held responsible for his actions. You've also got a verse written down, and it's in your sheet. It's Acts 2.23. Paul or Peter is preaching uh, one of these for the first sermon after Pentecost, and he says, This Jesus delivered up to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So Jesus died because of God's plan. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God had a plan that Jesus would die, yet you're still responsible for hanging Jesus on the cross. How does this work? How do we reconcile these two? Can we say that because God is sovereign that we're no longer responsible for our actions? No, because that's not what the Bible says. Can we say because we're responsible for our actions and we have choice that God is somehow less sovereign or less in control? No, because that's not what the Bible says. Remember how at the beginning I said God's perspective is different from our perspective? From God's perspective, this works somehow. For, God, for, for God's perspective, somehow God's sovereignty and our responsibility works perfectly together. From our responsibility, we just go by faith. And by faith we say, I believe that my God is in absolute control. While at the same time I believe that if I sin, if I make mistakes, then I'm responsible for my choices and my actions. For me... Once again, for me, this is encouraging again because I know regardless of what my actions, I understand my responsibility, I understand my choices, I understand that I do have a free will in the choices and the decisions that I make and who I am and how I live. I understand that I've got all that responsibility on me. But it builds my faith in my God to know no matter what my actions are, my God is still in control. No matter what my actions are, God's plans cannot be knocked off balance. No matter what my actions are, God is still sovereign over my life, over history, and God still has a plan. I don't have to have everything worked out perfectly. I can just trust that my God is in control, and I'm going to follow and depend and trust in Him. Then I want us to close with this. God's sovereignty should give us peace 
and calls us not to worry. Because God is sovereign, because God is good, because God loves us, because we are His children, because we have repented and placed our faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. This should be just a huge burden lifted off of our lives. We should be able to trust that God is in control. Now, once again, I understand there are times we go through difficult situations. There are times when we we deal with hard things. And I'm not saying during those times that we can't feel that hardness or we can't feel that weight. But during those times, we can find rest. We can find solace. We can find comfort. We can find peace knowing that no matter what I'm going through, and yes, it might be difficult. Yes, it might be hard. But I know that my God is in control. I know that He's got a plan. I know that He's got a purpose. I know that God has promised to work all things for His glory and for my good. I'm going to trust in Him. I'm not going to try to do things my way. I'm not going to try to handle things my way. I'm going to pray. I'm going to study His Word. I'm going to do everything that I can to follow Him and to obey Him and trust that He's got everything else in control. Listen to how Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious or by worrying, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. That is the pursuit of their life. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Seek first the kingdom of God. You know how you trust that God is sovereign? Don't be anxious about what you're aware. Don't be anxious about what you will eat. Don't be anxious about your money. Don't be anxious and worry. Trust God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Instead of seeking first all these other things that we can worry about, seek first God. Seek first obeying Him. Seek first loving Him. Seek first following Him. Seek first looking for opportunities to tell other people about Him. Make your life first and foremost about Jesus, about who He is, about what He has come to do, and about trusting Him. And then know that God will, through our responsibility, once again, this doesn't mean that we just sit back and do nothing, but through us doing what we are supposed to do, God will take care of us. God will do what needs to be done so that we have what we need. That's the promise that Jesus gives us right here. Does God not know that you need these things? Trust God. Seek first God. Glorifying Him, honoring Him, following Him, obeying Him. And then... Let God help you take care of everything else. Just make sure that as you go through life, when you hit these tough spots, 
Once again, we're not downplaying those, but when you hit these tough spots, make sure that our focus does not shift off of God to the things that we might be tempted to worry about or fear or fret or be sad about. Make sure that even in the midst of those times, your focus is on the sovereign God who is in control of all things, who is good, who loves you, and who has a plan and a purpose for what is happening in our lives. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now. Thank you for this time that you've given us. Father God, I, I never feel prepared, God, to talk about your greatness. But Father God, how do you put into words, God, how great you truly are? But Father God, I know I always fall short when it comes to explaining your greatness. Because God, it really can't be put into words. But Father God, I pray that you have taken this time. I pray that you have taken your word and your truth. And Father God, I pray that you have placed it in our hearts. And God, that through you and your Holy Spirit and your word, Father God, that you have encouraged us this morning. That you have built our faith, even just a little bit this morning. God, as we have seen just another glimpse of how great and how big and how trustworthy you truly are. Father God, I pray that you would help us all. God, I don't know the situations of people's lives in this room, but you do. Father God, I pray, Lord, that your truth, God, that your word would drive us into trusting you. Father God, help us to lean on you. God, help us to seek first the kingdom of God. God, help us to seek to glorify and honor you. Help us trust that you are in control, even if we don't see the results of it in this moment. Help us trust that you are in control of all good things. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.